0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Wither, and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Harry Waters? I'm not happy to be here. You you retract that bit. You retract that bit. (laughs) You retract that. I'm not happy to be here. Why not? Because because (laughs) we're we're having an argument. We're fighting it out. (laughs) Oh, man. It's nice that we're in person for this one. We were going to record this. Uh, remotely but i love that we saved this one for in person beat your ass after <laughs> Gonna get all riled. you wish I, I don't wish i dream <laughs> um <laughs> we've been circling this pod topic for a really long time our favorite movie arguments we've referenced it a lot just in passing we both love a good movie argument on screen two people having it out airing out their shit these are hard scenes to pull off well they need to be well written carefully acted and necessary to the overall movie. There has to be stakes. A lot of arguments are just silly in movies. My favorite is when my favorite silly movie argument is when a character asks like a really important question, you know, just tell me what you want. Just tell me what you think. And we cut to the other person in the argument. They're staring blankly. And then boom, we just cut out of the scene. Yeah. It's like, well, what the hell? That was that was nice and convenient. That doesn't really happen in real life. It's so easy. But here we are. We're opening up. Like, What makes... What makes a good movie argument and what makes a bad one? Let's start there. Well, let's start with the
1: definition of an argument. Okay. An argument, there's two that I like, is an exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one. Or it could be a reason or a set of reasons given with the aim of persuading others that an action or idea is right or wrong. I think that's I like that's, that one a little better. Yeah, one. it's a
0: little more detailed and involved. I like that.
1: Yeah. And I and and you know to your point, what you were saying earlier, what something that's not very good is like when someone is their whole entire stance is I want to understand. Mm-hmm. That's right. nothing you can do anything with, you know. Like the truth, like what can you do with the truth? But what are you going to do if I explain to you why I'm right? Right. What sure can sure. now happen? What do and and that is what these scenes are really good at. But I think. It's all in the writing, man. It starts at
0: that writing. The writing has to be there. And I mean, chemistry is a really big thing because you have to it. You really have to be able to communicate that like these people know each other. They uh, for me, it's all about stakes. We're going to talk about this as we go through our list. Like, what are you arguing about? That's number one. And it, it doesn't you don't have to be arguing about like life or death or the death of a child or something. It can be something, you know, even smaller stakes than that. But then. I don't know, just what is in play, how badly does the person want it. And yeah, is it about convincing you that I'm right? Is it about just I just want to be seen and heard? I just want my points heard. I love that. And then also there's so many different types of arguments. It's Mm -hmm. like the most conventional sort of movie argument is, you know, it starts, everything's cool, everything's fine, and then it boils up, boils up, it's going, it's going, and then it kind of crests and boils over. And then a lot of movies just end there. That's what I mean about yeah. that scene cutting out. A lot of movies do that. So you really, you look at it like a lot of movies treat movie arguments like a slope. Like it's just going up. And then you reach like you're rising for the roller coaster You're going up. And then you basically just like plateau and you end. We like a ski slope. you are up, yeah. down, up, down. You are arguing. It's, you're screaming. You're mad. And then things calm down. And you find the love or you find common ground. And then someone says one thing and it just gets riled back up again. That is not true of everything on our list here, but that's a pretty, you know, that's kind of a good place to start for me. If you're doing that, I appreciate that and I like it. And I think length has something to do with it too. Not all of these are long. Some of them are though, because I do think it takes longer than two and a half, three minutes to kind of really suss out a good argument. A lot of mine are eh, a few get above like, Nine or ten, and that's you know, that's where we're getting good. That's where we're that's getting juicy when, Yeah. And it gets really fun as an argument keeps going is you're like, when the hell is this gonna end? Like, how is this? What are the stakes? How's it all gonna come down? Come crashing down. And ah oh, God, I just love that. Well, because sometimes that's how it is. Like, yes yes, you
1: know, like I've had real life arguments and relationships that are lasting for the fucking hours oh, and boy. it's hell,
0: it's pure hell. Oh god.
1: But that's sure. how a lot of these what we're about to yes. do, like yes, yes, they, yes. they actually do
0: that. And we were also very careful to, I I think I want to touch on this now. You brought up a really good point, but we were careful to kind of uh, parcel it out because there are different types of arguments based on who is arguing, you know, so we didn't just want to pick heterosexual couple arguments Mm -hmm. and we didn't, you know, so that's, we are going to start with some couples arguing. I think that's probably the most popular form of movie argument, but we also have Different couples arguing about different things. They're not just arguing about like affairs. They're arguing about, you know, a variety of topics. We have men arguing with men. We have family fights. But then you brought up a really good point, a sad but true point that in our research, why don't you just take this? Well, as we were really kind of diving into doing this, I
1: started realizing I was like, there are not many women
0: and women Mm -hmm. arguments. Right. Just two like just straight women just arguing, not yeah. about a man, just arguing about something like that isn't a man just sitting there having it out.
1: Yeah. And just having an e- even just conversation. And there, there's a whole entire it's
0: called the um, Brechtel. Yes. Yes. The Brechtel test. I, I, I believe that's how you say it, which is like basically that rule posits that do does a movie to pass that test. A movie has to have a scene in which two women are talking and they're having a conversation but it is not about a man. And that sounds like a very simple thing to pull off. But Mm then when you realize how many movies do not contain this, it's like, it's fucking shocking, honestly. It's laughable. Yeah, it's crazy. So this isn't to say that like two women fighting in movies do not exist. They do. But to your point, like these are the ones we actually had to kind of go digging for a little more. And you need to go down in your Google searches a little bit. And I found that to be very weird because you type in like best movie arguments a lot of your lists are going to be a lot of them are couples like a heterosexual male female dynamic and this is probably more of a testament to the type of movies that are made you know and either way i do think we're seeing more of a trend of kind of women letting women be women in film and having an argument about something but yeah we just wanted to draw that to attention to bring that up by way of saying that you know we're trying to spread it around here but god let's have more just Women arguing about life. And that's also this goes back to our mailbag episode, but that's kind of a a huge source of inspiration for the new movie I'm working on that I'm going to have two sisters who are fighting. They're not fighting about, you know, a man, but it's been a lot of fun to research that and to write it because then now you're talking about sisters who deeply love each other. So, yeah, that it all helps kind of fuel me as well, like trying to think of I want to write an argument that maybe not that we haven't seen, but something we don't see a lot of. It's like two sisters arguing at it. literally. It's going to be like seven 30 in the morning and just fucking having it out. And like what sisters don't argue. Exactly. Like, sisters. Oh. and what's so cool about sisters arguing sisters that in the world, I hope to create these two people. There's, they love each other more than anything. There are no two people that they love more, even though one's married and all that stuff. But then like, how far can you go to get mean? How far do you have to push to like offend someone badly? Like, for instance, like you and I have never really had it out. We've never had like a doozy argument. But like when you think of like friends who know each other so well, like it could get it can get fucking bad because no one knows you better than the people who love you. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to kind of explore. And that's those are other dynamics that we love in movie arguments that a lot of movies just ignore male, female, man, woman, whatever it is. I, I just like adding in as much as possible and then like. How far do you have to go to push buttons, conflict and how personal can you make it? Yeah. Without because I mean, anyone can be like, it's kind of easy to push too far. You can use harsh language really, really quickly. That's not that's just not really an effective argument. It's more like a lot of my picks on here. People get very articulate. They get, you know, they just get nasty and they know how to drop one line that kind of can devastate the other person. And that's all you have to say. Well, I'm looking at one here. That is just three simple words that are said from one character to another, and they are fucking devastating. And it's very simple. Boom. And,
1: and when you get hit by, like, really good articulate vocabulary in an argument that completely puts you in your place, there's nothing worse than that in terms of being the when recipient. You and, and you're like, oh, my God, you just totally, tweet. like, are right I'm not going to admit it because I'm angry. Right. But you right. did it in a way that's like more intelligent than I can come back yeah. with and come back with, nuh uh.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's usually what kicks an argument up again when someone yeah. makes a really good point and then someone goes down for something dirty and nasty. Yeah. And that's so Okay. Now we're going here. Great. Great. Why don't we just, well, any, any other thing else to add before we get into our picks here? No. Fuck you. I'm not setting <laughs> this tone the whole time. It's going to get. I haven't seen you in like nine months. Last time I saw you, you were the best man at my wedding. We're not, we're not going down this road. We just, we got a good pump on earlier today. We worked out. Let's bring the testosterone level down. All right, this is going to be fun. We're going to volley back and forth here. We're going to have a wide-ranging discussion of arguments that we like. We did confer on our list because I kind of assumed we would have a few in common. And instead yep. of us both making a top 10, and then we end up with like six movies total. I'm like, let's share our list. So we're gonna get through all the ones we had in common up front. And that way we can do that. And then we'll, you know, branch out and I'll talk about some that have meant a lot to me. You'll talk about some that have meant a lot to you. All right, so let's do it. I I set these up in chronological order. It's no, it's certainly no coincidence. I don't think that all the ones we picked on our list are of couples arguing, but that's why we're gonna knock a lot of these out <laughs> end of the way <laughs> first. But they're arguing about different stuff. But let's start with wow. Faces, 1968, directed by John Cassavetti, something we've a movie we talked about a lot on this podcast before. They sit down at the dinner table about 22 minutes into this movie. John Marley, Lynn Collins sit down. Everything starts so like calmly and smoothly. He's he's bringing in tension and you you don't really know what he's going to do yet or what he's thinking, but everything's kind of cool to a point. And then he goes and gets that beer and everything just like boils over. And he lets himself get offended by one little thing she says. And it spins so far out of control that it's this really long, sweeping argument shot very Cassavetes. But I just want to say that this argument was so revolutionary for American cinema that Roger Ebert said it was like one, if not the best movie argument he'd ever seen in a movie, the most realistic. And then said this before, but that was the scene that made it him say this was his favorite movie of 1968. And one of his favorite movies of all time was 2001 A Space Odyssey. So this it was a really, really game-changing movie argument when people saw it. And I don't think people knew what to do with it then. And we literally got done watching it, like, what, 45 seconds before we fired these mics up. So it's really fresh in our heads. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, I mean, and also I think you can't really escape a
1: conversation about movie arguments without at least bringing up one John Cassavetes movie yeah, because- yes. Every one of his movies has unbelievable arguments and and kind of speaking to that definition, we brought up at the top of the show. But what I think this is makes this particular argument so great is that the revolutionary aspect of it is because it was showing a couple in nineteen sixty eight that did not talk about the things that they were talking about in terms right. of sexuality. They're actually talking in the beginning of this argument. It's not even an argument yet. They're, they're, but they're talking about something that they both actually feel very strongly about, but they're not really admitting their stance on it. Mm-hmm. She's bringing up a uh, situation that happened with a friend of hers whose husband was uh, having sexual dreams and saying things out loud.
0: In his dream. Yes. In his dream. yes, yes. About and, another woman. About yeah. another
1: woman. And it, she wants to talk about this. And, and why she wants to talk about it? Maybe she wants to hear what he has to say. She wants to know his opinion. Right. Maybe she wants to see if her laughter is the appropriate response mm-hmm. that a woman should have at that time. Quote, unquote, yes. You know? Yes, yes. And so, you know, it's not an argument, but there is clearly sides taken. And then when right. she ex- when she expresses it, there's laughter. But is it actual funny laughter? Or is it uncomfortable Cassavetti's laughter, where it's the character trying to work through what is happening through fake laughter. Oh and it's so great. And then you start to reveal what these people actually think. And all of this is building to what will eventually be the beer, where mm-hmm. he just decides that for himself that he wants to take it to another level. Yeah. And it becomes a very, very stereotypical conversation about men versus women. Right. And right. that's really where the alt- the argument goes but then it does a great thing where they're tired of arguing mm-hmm. and they go into bed and they're laughing and they're being a married couple and they're finding that love but then it shifts again where they're like what is what is going on I don't want this I
0: don't like this yeah he proposes divorce which is like yes. crazy crazy at the time I mean you don't even expect that watching you're like oh this is So you maybe you like started this whole thing to work your way up to this moment. And it's an 11 minute scene total starring John Marley and Lynn Carlin. My apologies. I got that wrong before. I mean, she was nominated for the Oscar, rightly so. And it is God, it's just a doozy of a scene that is going through. It doesn't it doesn't enter into the scene with them mad and going at it. And then it it just you you go with it. It falls down then you start it back up Mm -hmm. and then it just ends with him, you know basically calling like another woman in front of his wife and a uh, God. And that's what sets them out on their separate night of, you know, different chaos. Watch yeah. the
1: rest of the movie to find out where it goes yeah. because it's worth the time.
0: I tried to keep track of how long the arguments are that I'm going to mention and when they take place in the movie because I think that's, I don't know, it's kind of important. This is like 22 minutes in. My ne- our next one is, is a longer movie. It's two hours and seven minutes in. This is for 1995's Casino and... Man, this is a quicker one. This one's fast. But if you've seen this movie, this is like really as devastating and as raw as movie arguments get. You got Sharon Stone as Ginger. She's stolen her kid with Robert De Niro. They fled with James Woods playing the perfect goon. You know, she's like doing coke in front of her daughter. So, And De Niro's playing it really cool. He's, he's got to get her back. He charms her. He wait, And then he waits until she's back. She's landed. And they go out. And they go out for a drink. And he's just sitting there. Doing that very typical male thing, he's like thirty thousand bucks. Well, he got got suits. I mean, how many suits can you get fitted for in like three days? Like, there's no way he did that much. And we got him a couple watches. There's there's no way. So he's just really getting down to like, there's no way. Where's the rest of my money? Yeah. Like you stole all this money from me. Where is it? And it's starting starting. Then he's like, I'll kill you. You know, dead dead. She leaves, and then it just continues back at their house. And she calls Joe Pesci on the phone, and is basically like, I want him killed. Like, I want and he hears her, comes up behind her, she like freezes, and then, holy shit, I mean, it's just absolutely on, you got her, him dragging her to the closet, you know, I want you out, I want you out, and it is that horrible, that awful moment when he goes to the back of the closet and then runs up and he's like, is this enough money for you, last you two fucking days, and he's like, throw it in their face, and I mean, that is, that's right up there with some of the most intense arguing that he's ever done with, like, especially with a woman, I mean, it's just so believable, and then Sharon Stone is just I mean, that's her best role. She's so good in that. But that is that is a brutal and effective argument. And then it the crazy thing is she leaves, but then she comes back and ends up like getting back into bed with him and it's all calm. Oh, man, that's the saddest part of the whole movie and of the performance when he just lets her back in and then like holds her hand. I love that scene so much.
1: And you know, and the the cool thing about that scene and what we're talking about is like you could kind of, if if you didn't know what the stakes were Mm -hmm. of that movie, and if you hadn't watched the movie up until that point, and you saw visually just, you know, him dragging her out, her kicking and screaming, grabbing at clothes, ripping things, it looks like, you know, I guess what you would kind of think in your head, oh, it's a stereotypical movie argument. Mm -hmm. But... The stakes that have happened up until that point, and what these characters have done and their behavior and the choices that they've made, have all led to this when you watch that movie argument it's you you can you can empathize
0: yeah you you yeah. can
1: empathize with that anger and it's like get her
0: out of the house, yeah because Sam. And- Ace Rothstein is someone who's very controlled. He's very in control of everything. And that's when he's like, you want me dead? You want me gone? All right, you're out of here. And just like that's it boils over and he breaks and you see how you just empathize everything all around. That's oh, man.
1: It's like the old adage of living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. That's what that movie is. But that's the truth right there. It is hard,
0: but pure truth in that argument oh absolutely and that's not even their last argument in the movie i mean she like gets all wasted and goes to pesci's restaurant and then they fight and then there's that whole thing in the morning when the cops come and she's like throwing stuff and uh takes his uh, get it and they go to the bank it's crazy it's crazy scorsese can do an effective argument when he wants i mean leo and margot robbie fighting in the end of wolf of wall street like that's really intense it gives her the gut punch like that's brutal and that he really slows that movie down for like six minutes and you're like holy shit i mean this is wow this is really intense so he knows when to do it yep um henry hill ray liotta coming back from prison like what'd you do with the coke and she's like i I flushed it what do you mean no how could you do that how i mean oh man so intense so intense next one's a lot of fun 2004 is closer cool thing about this is this is a dual argument we have clive owen and julia roberts cross cut with jude law and natalie portman having it out and What's interesting? This takes place after the art gallery scene, and that's the only time all four of these people are in the same room together. And then, after that's done, we fade to white, and then we come back, and we're just sitting on Julie Roberts. She's sitting despondently, alone. She's in her loft. We go back to Portman. She's on the couch. She wakes up, and this is like forty-five minutes into the movie. We're like at the halfway mark, and then what's so cool about this is these fights have the benefit of being. Allowed to organically cut away from each other. And that makes sense. So that's cool. So when we leave them, and then when we come back, often the mood is changed. Like they may have been really at each other's throats. And then when we come back, things are a little calmer. But initially, the passage of information, like we learn from Jude Law that they've had the affair. And then the next time we cut back to Julie Roberts and Clive, he comes in and says, You know, coming home to my wife. And you're like, oh fuck they're married like uh, and then it just keeps going but I know you love this movie you love this scene so let's hear it oh this is a top 10 favorite movie of mine yeah and um well and and one of the things that's
1: great what you were kind of scratching on was like this whole entire movie the passage of time is not laid out for us yeah it's very clever you gather through the the reveal of information throughout the new scene oh okay so that must be like a year has passed and so on and what makes this dual breakup even more interesting is that two of the characters in the opposite duels are breaking up with these people to be with each other. Exactly. exactly. So there's intention and there's motive that's going on on both parties yes. for what's happening. Without the other people knowing. Yep. I mean, they know that the other person's been cheating on, but they don't know that that's necessarily like that they're going to them. Yeah, You exactly. find that out through the arguments, Right, right. But also what I love about this argument is that it's true to the play.
0: Oh yeah, sure. They sure.
1: they break this up on stage where they've got both couples in the apartments, and the way that it's set in the stage directions is that the lighting goes on one, and then it's dark on the other, right? Dark on yeah, the yeah, other, yeah. and just switches and That's switches. So, so cool. Mike Nichols, I mean, brilliantly, didn't even change it. He just kept that whole entire part of it the same. He's like, we're just going to cut because we're not on a stage, but we're just going to cut right when the play cuts, and that information and all of that will take care of itself but you've also got the dialogue that's going on between these two because i mean i think the sh- the flashy showy one is the clive owen sure. julia roberts i mean sure. that's the one that's got that's that's the gut punch that well not the literal gut punch but it's the figurative gut punch the not like, by me yeah the caveman <laughs> line am a not fucking caveman yeah yeah uh, i mean and it's just
0: brutal you well, know it's a really good use of uh masculinity because he is imposing enough and you you would absolutely believe in that moment that that character could do something physically damaging yeah and to see him getting a little offended by that are you dressed because you thought i'd hit you Mm -hmm. he's like who do you think i am and then her excuse i've been hit before and i love that of like i am not perfect yeah i I actually want to talk about this i'm not perfect but like i'm not that fucking bad i'm not that guy i uh, another layer of this scene is that he admits first to her that he has cheated that he slept with, yep. you know, a sex worker in New York. And I always thought that was very interesting for the writer to include that because it tarnishes Clive's character. No one in this movie is perfect. No one's flawed. I mean, the, the most innocent one in it, Natalie Portman character is, you know, lying the whole time. So yeah, that they're all innocent? bad people. <laughs> yeah, they're all bad. They're all flawed. So I love and I love the way that he's kind of carrying that, you know, he's dressed, but to me, he's playing it like, I don't really think she's going to mind that I did this. But, you know, if she does, I get it. But then when she really doesn't mind and he's like, wait, huh? You Why is this not a big deal? Oh, and then we just go. It's great. And and you also think about like that the definition
1: of like, what are they actually after? Because mm-hmm. Clive Owen seems to be he's basically trying to get her to admit that she is as filthy as the situation is. Sure. sure. Like, like just admit that you loved it, that you're this, that you're that, that you're this, you know, yeah. mean, totally mean. But what's underlying all of it is that I love that one moment where he's like, did you ever really love me? Because yeah. that's really what it is. Well, there's
0: I love when he says that. And then like, were we happy? Yeah, and then her look, that's a. that's like, maybe my favorite Julia Roberts moment. That is my favorite Julia Roberts scene. But her reaction to aren't we happy? And she looks at him to me, I read that as like, come on, come me a fucking break. Like, yep. is, I kind of read that as, is anyone happy? Yep. Like, ever?
1: Oh, and conversely, what's going on the other side with Jude Law, and Natalie Portman is really meaner. Is actually, it's it's a much more cruel scene because Natalie Portman's character is just completely blindsided by mm-hmm. it. She just woke up. Woke up. He's leaving, and he is just he's he's not being mean. He's just stating the situation in so the facts. It's so cold and direct. It's so cold. And she is like pleading to stay, and he's and he and oh man, it's just. I think anyone who has seen this movie would agree that if you're talking about best movie arguments, you can't not put this one in there. Right,
0: and when he lets out that final line, and he says it not by screaming, um, people literally gasped in the theater. Mm-hmm. Men, women, no one had ever. Talk to America's sweetheart like that oh, ever. And she had never said what she came out of her mouth. Oh my God. N- never been that sexually explicit. Not even playing a sex worker in Pretty Woman. Like, yep. Never talking like that. And that's kind of what, you know, we've talked about before that that role was initially, it was given to Kate Blanchett and then mm. she got pregnant and, you know, it, then Julie Roberts took it. And that's like, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love Kate Blanchett. I, I would maybe even argue that she's a stronger performer, but seeing America's sweetheart be taken down like that, it really makes that scene very effective. It's and, a perfect way to end it.
1: And, and how well she goes toe
0: to toe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, She is not afraid. Yeah, she's sticking up to him.
1: It, it, is, it is by far my favorite performance from Julia Roberts. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. I agree with you. I think, you know, it would have been very good with Kate Blanchett. And I agree, arguably, possibly a better performer. But to see Julia Roberts go there yeah. and actually do it, like respect all the way.
0: Did you hear the story about the gift? That Natalie Portman and Julie Roberts gave to each other that like on the first day oh, sounds familiar Natalie Portman gave her I believe was a bracelet that said the c word on it, it was oh just like, and then I know I, the, didn't hear I think on the last day of filming Julie Roberts gave her the same bracelet but it said l-i-l little little c word oh man that's <laughs> kinda, hilarious. yeah I mean I'm yeah it, it's funny that two <laughs> that they both did that with each other but I think yeah I think it's kind of funny that's hilarious <laughs> Next one, oh boy! Like oh. I said, I mentioned that I was trying to keep track of when, like, the first big blow up. Like, when do these arguments actually take place in the movie? Because you gotta, like, you know, you gotta set the scene, set the stakes, set the characters. How far into the movie this is this going on? And Revolutionary Road, two thousand eight. I mean, <laughs> this has to be the first argument, the only argument on our list that happens before the opening title card. Because these two, they get into that car six minutes in. And that fight, you know, they pull the car over and you in a trap, you in a trap. That's like more intense than most arguments we're talking about on this list. This is like in minute six. And that's not even the main one we're going to talk about here. Like, that's what's crazy. What what I found really interesting is that there's three key arguments in this movie. And this one is six minutes in. It's three minutes long. It's very intense. And then these two do not really go at it again for another hour Mm -hmm. when he is made up his mind that I actually don't want to go to Paris and then they fight about that. And that for, for these two characters, that's their tamest argument. And then their final argument is a, is a doozy. It's a two parter. It's where they're kind of getting into it. And then they're interrupted because they've invited guests over for dinner. They've invited Kathy Bates, her husband, and then their son, who's paranoid schizophrenic played by Michael Shannon, Oscar nominated performance. He's great. So they've already started the argument of just like stuff. And then, Someone comes in. I've certainly been in a situation where, like, you are bringing in tension, and then, like, you're just on your way to a dinner with another couple or something, and then you're living in that awkwardness, like, sitting there, and everyone can feel the tension. And, you know, especially like in the 50s, people may not sit around the table and bring up the tension in the room, like, hey, everyone, what's going on here? You just kind of placate, like, hey, it's all good. But when you set a paranoid schizophrenic down, (laughs) he's going to be like, exactly what he does. And he's the driving force and the motivation of it. He's just so, like, Heartbroken that they decided to not go to Paris. And then he, man, when he sets his sights on Leo and just devastates him, I mean, that really kicks off one of the most brutal movie arguments ever between Leo and Kate. Oh my God.
1: It's just, it it was unbelievably shocking. Like, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was not in theaters. So did I over the weekend. I told my dad. I mean, it's it's an it's a great movie, but it's an incredibly depressing movie. Oh, like, there's really not much levity in this in this fucker. But um, it's worth seeing. But it's also such a cool way of doing because that 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 argument stands alone. But you never see the way that Michael Shannon starts it mm-hmm. because all Michael Shannon does is call out the truth. Exactly. That's exactly. It's simply yeah. that. Like he sees through it all. And he basically cuts to the bone of what these two characters need and wants to say to each other. He just basically creates the platform for them to finally do it. Right. But they don't know how to do it any other way but than to be mean. Mm-hmm. They have reached a certain level of hatred and disgust with one another that there is no love. There is no and they don't even know how to speak to it. And that's why I love, like, it's that famous line where Kate Winslet's, if you come near me, I'm just going to scream, scream. Oh. you know? And when she lets out that shrill, I mean, I think it says it all. Like, there's just nothing left here except just a primal vocal expression of how much I'm unhappy.
0: That's, an, that's a really interesting moment because right before then, she genuinely, as the actress, looks fucking terrified that he's going to punch her out. Mm-hmm. Like, she looks so afraid. And then she gains that strength and, like, I'm going to scream. You, you kind of see her, like, Getting her air back and building it up and like, ah, ah. And then he won't stop. And then she fucking leaves. And I mean, it goes to the frigging woods. Yeah, it goes to the <laughs> woods. He's still chasing her. And she's like, can you not stop? And then the thing I alluded to earlier, when an argument can just come down to three words, when she just smiles and says, like, I hate you. Yeah. I, I mean, that is it's such an easy thing for a, a wife to say to a husband in a movie argument. Like, OK, yeah, duh, I hate you. I hate you. But the, I mean, just to have your argument end with that, like, no, this is simple. I don't even. I don't love you. I don't care about you. I fucking hate you, dude. Like that. Oh my god. I honestly consider the next scene, the next morning, an extension of this argument. Just that that tension, and she's you know all buttoned up and all nice because she's planning something devastating. And oh man, well it's great. It's how simplistic
1: can you make it? Like yeah, like simply to just say to someone and mean it with all of your heart, I hate you. Oh there, man, there really is like you don't go anywhere else. Yeah. Like where else is there to go? Yeah, you're like. I understand. I mean, there's not that level of acceptance doesn't come so fast, but necessarily, but you can't, you can't argue it anymore. If someone truly hates you and they say it after all of this, you cannot argue. It's oh, over. Oh, God.
0: Next one. Oh, boy. Oh, yes. I know. I did, uh, oh. I did um, the math on this. Why not? I'm a fucking nerd. Blue Valentine, I made in 2010. This movie is 112 minutes long. Fifty five zero minutes of it are in the pleasant past. And 62 minutes are in the tumultuous present. Of those 62 minutes, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams spend roughly 50 minutes arguing with each other. So that's (laughs) Blue Valentine. We have about 50 minutes of pleasantness, 12 minutes of awkwardness in the present, and then 50 minutes of hellacious arguing. So this is obviously a movie tailor-made for the What Are You Watching podcast. (laughs) Tailor-made. Yes. Um... And I mean, it, it starts in, you know, the future room. I think like why? It, and again, it's starting very kind of small, like alcohol is increasing, increasing. But she asks a fair question. Like you have so much to offer. Why do you want a job where you can drink beer at eight in the morning painting houses? And in his argument, you no, know, because I can do that. It's a luxury. But it starts here with like genuine just kind of they're talking about stuff they need to be talking about and then where it goes. Holy shit. Well and that and I think this is this is my
1: favorite part is like even before it starts to get to the really uncomfortable the sexuality stuff of it. Right. Right. But that whole entire conversation they're having while they're eating and drinking together, and it's funny to kind of even bring up the point in looking at all these scenes is is alcohol involved? And I know in faces it was that we talked about. Um Closer, I believe it was not. No, it closer maybe, it's not. She may have had a glass of wine before he showed up, but that wasn't really a part of the argument. There also is like a, you know, a correlation between the alcohol and this. And for this scene, clearly there is because Gosling's character has got a little bit of a thing. Oh, yes. But um, you're talking about that idea. She is trying to find the love within him. Yeah, yeah. And she's presenting an idea. She goes, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And his whole entire thing is doubling down on something that I don't think he actually truly believes. I think which is what that he all he wants
0: to do is spend time with him. Or no, I think he that's it. Yeah, okay, I believe that too.
1: But like that idea of um, that he just like it's a luxury to do this. I think he's found himself in a position where he is settled onto that. But he's clearly not happy. No, no. You know, I, I think they make him happy, the, the, the kid and her. Yeah, that she, is yes, everything. yes, I agree. They're still dancing around something that can't be fixed. Mm-hmm. And that's really the crux of the whole entire movie. And it's an endless argument of trying to fix it, not willing to fix it. And what are the tactics that human beings will do to one another during all that? Oh, God.
0: Yeah. And then what follows is, I mean, it's awkward to talk about. It's just that they are so convincingly drunk during that, you know, sex scene in that room and him like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's just so, so painful to watch. But then this is an argument that boils over into the next day and she gets called into work, has to ditch him. He has to like take a cab, shows up to her work, still drunk. And that horrible argument just ensues. And that's what not a lot of these arguments take place in public. A lot of these we're talking about are private. This is at her work. And it gets so bad that she starts calling him the C word. Like that's a rare thing. And then, I mean, when she's trying to hit him and he's just not phased by it. And she's like, get out of here, smacking him. And and then, oh man, then he punches the boss. You're like, holy shit. One of my
1: favorite moments, it, it brings it to, to like its most like primal is when he's like, you want me to be a man? I can be a man. Yeah. And he starts like just Throwing flipping around. short. But yeah. he does a shoulder thing. Like he's like a caveman. He's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And he's like acting like that as I can be a man. Right. And it's like really just completely like, you know, regressing into yeah the worst of what we can all possibly do but i love the shirt he's wearing <laughs> oh my god he's, it's so I, ridiculous it's, it's just it's it's there's an animal of some type yeah. I don't know, it's like a bear or something oh, it's but like it's like an ugly sweater yeah it's, it it's looks like it's, bought it at gas station yeah
0: it's like this is the shirt you're going on the hill to die on exactly. wearing <laughs> exactly still drunk from the night before you look like you just look awful and then that ends with a really poignant moment too like you vowed it like best and worst like you know this is me at my worst yep. and you have to see it through, and I, you know... And that's such a great argument, though. It is. because it is. This is me at my... This is my bottom. This is my worst. You have to see me through to my best. And that's unfair. It, and, oh, and, very, and, it's, very. and
1: it's And it's a last-ditch effort. Yeah. And, like, even says, I'm, I'm just trying to save my family, but mm-hmm. it's coming from a place where it's like you can't throw that card. Like, it... it that's why I love this movie so much is because I've seen it so many times and I doubt many people are like you and I where that are like, <laughs> let's see Blue Valentine for the 12th time. But every time I watch it, I st- I find different reasons to get behind the other person. Like sometimes I'm like, I see his point and I see her point vice versa and it goes back and forth and this is the whole movie so this whole entire movie
0: really encapsulates this whole entire podcast
1: (laughs) yeah well yeah sure (laughs) episode (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly
0: because they do stretch it out for 50 minutes throughout the whole film another one that lasts really long and it's all right next to each other together ah we i mean this movie if you're doing a movie podcast about movie arguments you have to mention the what final third of before midnight yep when Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy just go for it for 25 minutes, we see the full fight. It starts, like, about an hour and 10 minutes into the movie. They get to a hotel. Cool thing about this one is it starts very lovingly. They are about to get frisky. She's yeah. taking her clothes off, and then the phone rings. It's, you know, it's the age-old phone interrupts the sexual, the sexual dynamics in, in the movie. And it is a phone call that is very short, but, you know, she... Does She does the thing where he's like, I want, I want to say bye to my kid, to my son, you know, and she's like, ah, it doesn't, she doesn't give him a chance to talk to him. And then that's all it takes. That's the kernel to start. Oh my God. It's so interesting how he decides to pick it and get started. And then we keep talking about like these baiting things. Cause this is definitely one that gets really heated yeah. and calmed down gets, I mean, for the first three minutes of it, she doesn't have her top on, she doesn't have a brawl. and then she like puts that on. She's owning it but like i even noticed i forgot he's like correcting her grammar throughout and i'm like this isn't even her first fucking language buddy like oh my god that's such an arrogant asshole thing to do and i mean i i'm thinking when i'm watching this i'm like these two must not argue often because they're literally airing out dirty laundry like i pick up your socks i mean they're talking about who picks up socks who does the dishes and i who's the better more attentive parent that's always a really good way to like get uh, get down there with your partner. But I don't know. I just love that this thing starts, gets so heated, damn near almost ends, almost like comes to a calm resolve and then it just goes back up again. She keeps leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back. Oh,
1: man. And they're both what makes this argument. I I think I would have to say that this is probably my favorite movie argument.
0: This is right up there for me. Number one for the length, because you never feel that 25 minutes. It's all I mean, I know they do eventually leave and they have a kind of sweet Reunion, it's tense, but it's a little sweet. But you are basically in that room for 25 minutes. Yep. Just and watching it. The
1: levels and the specifics, but I don't think this argument would work. Obviously, you've got the previous two movies that are such a, his, like, the history of it all. But even if you didn't see those two other movies, they are both so loaded at the beginning of this one. Yes. Like, especially her. She yes. is very unhappy. She always looks to me as if, like every word that comes out of Ethan Hawke's mouth when they're talking to their friends and everything, she's just ready to just jump in at any point if if it wasn't in public to just be like, you're full of shit. Yeah, a
0: lot of eye rolling, a lot of like, kind of like subtly putting him down at the dinner table and he's trying to handle it. But you can, you're getting a sense of like, Something is about to go down between yep. these two. And, like and this he, is an ending with her, baby. You're gonna miss that plane. Like this is gonna be rough. Exactly. Yeah. And
1: he is the whole entire time with like trying to put on the lightest thing about it. Yep. be like, what? As if he doesn't really know. Exactly. I mean, but the thing is, like, I I think he doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to have a fight. He like he knows something's wrong. But and then finally, you've got that whole entire like loaded ammunition and finally in this hotel room is when it all comes to. Ch- and it's just fucking brilliant. man. And I
0: mean, she really devastates him at the end. Like, isn't this obvious what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, I just all love you.
1: Bye. I mean, you, you, you got to see these movies, but this is a little bit of a spoiler. Is it's like,
0: OK. You don't really know what happens to
1: him. It doesn't really like you could make a case because like that might like be that final moment you where ready for this because she's like, she says she's out of love with him.
0: You ready for this? It's been nine years. <laughs> if they were going to do it, it would come oh, out this God, year. I don't uh, think it's going to happen, but it's, it's been nine happen. years. Well, hey, they could but still do they it. They shot this in secret. I remember they did not, they basically sent out like a still, a publicity still of them walking in Greece. Like two months before it opened in theaters. And they're like, hey, we did this in secret. haha. ha. Well, like, what would you call it? Um, before... before... You could call it after something. And it. After. Oh, you dirty if, dog. If they're broken up, it's after. Oh, it's my after. God, Boom. dude. Boom. Oh, it's. Yep. There you go. Oh, my God. Boom. That's oh my mind. After dawn. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> terrible. That sounds it's terrible. Um, no, I mean, I. Yeah. And they're still both working and doing it. I maybe they put it to rest, but I don't know. Part of me. There's always going to be part of me of like, what if, what if, you know, what if well, they revisit it? Maybe it's not nine years, but maybe what if just, again, we get another one? It's oh, a, it's
1: a it. perfect trilogy as it is, yes. but yes. they all three of them have all said unanimously that they would never be opposed to continuing this. That, because that's absolutely right. And Linklater is that director. That dude loves messing with time, time going yeah. by and like
0: yeah. like there's no end. There's only an end when you're dead. That's, That's the end. Essentially a line he says in before sunset. He's like, I guess the story's never really over. Yep. Like it just keeps going until then. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah.
1: I will always root for another one of these. Hell Let's yeah. just keep going. Uh, oh, I love it. I love it after. That's great. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know. I'm just talking out my ass. Next one, I mean, in terms of long movie arguments, this is like literally the whole movie. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. We dedicated an entire episode to it, but As we're rounding out our shared, you know, couple arguments Mm -hmm. here, we just wanted to give a little love yet again to Malcolm and Marie. I don't even know how you pick like the most effective arguing scene in this. I think the one I remember the most is when she's taking a bath and he comes and levels her very simply and levels her. And I mean, just when he's like, you know, who did that? It was this. It was me. And like, oh, man, and saying that that wasn't you. That was Kiki. That was this or oh, God, it's and she doesn't say a word that's. This isn't really making my point, because I like movie arguments where equal parties are engaging, but that, I think, to me, is probably the most effective, devastating moment of that movie to me. Well, I think it's even more to your point, because what she
1: actually says after, it, I think is even, it trumps everything he just said. Well,
0: that's the beauty of the film. That's yep. why
1: it's genius, because they keep on-upping each other convincingly. And, and she just brings out the best thing that, it, it's purely from like a woman's point of view, is like, you know, John David Washington is just saying... All of the things that would really a man would think would really hurt a woman. Yes, uh,
0: usually related to like sex and yeah, all that How stuff. can yeah. I make you jealous? Yes. How and you yes. know
1: and but at this point in the argument, that is not like she. It's almost like that's cute that you think you, this is your big right. th- move to play. Right,
0: it's almost immature. When yeah.
1: really, I just think you're disgusting. And if you really wanted to hurt me. You'd go here, so he's like trying so hard mm-hmm. to just mm-hmm. be the biggest dick ever. Oh, and yes, yeah. she is hurt, but no, no. Uh-huh. But but at the same time, I do believe her character when she's like, "You think like that is what you have right. on right. me? That what you, you you're just gross." Yeah,
0: that's a great way to level him too. Yep, like you're disgusting. You're gross. And because now he's sort of like, "Shit, I got, yeah, I got buddy, what nothing. the fuck do you think was gonna happen when you said all that shit to her? Like, come on, yeah, <laughs> Jesus, go- yeah, how did you think she was gonna react?" Oh,
1: uh, but Malcolm and Marie—the whole movie is uh, is the argument, yep. and um and I've got another one movie that I'll bring up later that again kind of speaks to just like the whole movie being its own argument. And um, Malcolm and Marie, Malcolm and Marie fans out there, just make yourselves known to us because yeah, um, we just we, we we know we're on an island, but
0: come join our island. It's a good island. <laughs> Euphoria season two and Malcolm and Marie, I think they play really well together. Both all shot on film, same guy. I mean, come on, it's all great. It's all great. All good. I love that movie. I
1: love that guy. Sam Levinson, man. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I I dig what he's doing out there these days. I, I like what he's putting out there. <laughs>
0: all right. So those are the ones that's some good ones. I mean, no that, that right there, like we could almost end the pod and be like, hey, those are some good. But again, they're just couples arguing. But those are the ones we very coincidentally picked as shared picks. So now we're going to move on to some individual ones. This is going to, I think, Give a little more insight into our personalities about what we picked and what we think (laughs) is effective. So I'm just going to kick. I'll go a little fast through some of these. Um, I did split my individual picks up between, you know, who is fighting and my first one. Since we were talking about couples, male, female, I figured I would just keep on that train. So I have three more to do. The first one for me is Malcolm X. And this is actually a huge inspiration on... The argument you and Mickey Hernandez had in I'm Alive because Angela Bassett very clearly picks this argument with Denzel Washington and Malcolm X. They, they've never had an argument. They, and they, that's even a line in it. She's like, We never argue. And he's like, Nope. She has to convince her husband of something that will seem alien and offensive to him, but it's something that she knows to be true, which is that the person Malcolm X has dedicated his life to. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad is not the fully honorable man that he says he is. Betty is reading a newspaper report that's just come out, and Malcolm is saying this is a devil's newspaper, there's lies, because the article's suggesting that Elijah Muhammad is having affairs with women, and this goes against, you know, all the beliefs of his Muslim faith. So two hours and 13 minutes into this very long movie, she picks a six-minute-long argument, and Bassett is just absolutely going for it and after Denzel makes his transition in the film to Malcolm X he's very even he doesn't you know like raise his voice at people he gets riled up on stage and stuff but he this is the only time you really see him start to unravel and like you see old Malcolm Little come out but the reason why this argument is so effective because we're talking about stakes she's never like I don't love you or if you don't you know, listen to me, I'm divorcing you. That's never on the table. She's basically like, sweetheart, no one out here loves you more than I do. But these people you have surrounded your life with, even if they helped you in prison, these are not good and honorable people. And you need to investigate this more closely. And he does. And he starts doing it as a result of this argument. And this, I don't know, it's just, it's so natural. Again, love is not at stake here. The love is there. The marriage is not at stake. The marriage is there. They love each other fully, but their livelihood is certainly at stake. And she, you know, it's very tense and she stresses that. And it's just, it's great. And that was something I told you for I'm Alive that this argument, it can get heated, but there's no circumstance or situation where you two are broken up at the end of it. That's not at play here. Yeah. What is at play is that you are one half of a relationship and you are doing the man thing. You don't want to communicate about it. She's the other half of this relationship. She's your living girlfriend. She has a right to know how your, her partner is feeling, but she doesn't go about that with you like, tell me how you feel or I'm out. It's basically like, she's not even bullying you. She just has to get it going. And that's yeah. exactly what Angela Bassett does. So that was a huge inspiration for me. Well, oh, I love this scene. Not to even
1: talk too much going into like our work about that, but I, I think what you're bringing up is such a great thing. Is like, you don't really see a lot of arguments done F- coming out of love exactly like, exactly i mean even like the ones we were talking about before there's conflict yes Uh between the two and
0: breakups are very much in play in most of the ones we've mentioned yeah, yeah exactly like that's yeah.
1: where the stakes are but in, in 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 what sounds like from this argument and i am alive is that the, what both characters are trying to get after or after is love
0: yeah and, and basically like I just want you to listen to me and attempt to understand my perspective. Mm-hmm. Because maybe, as someone who loves you deeply, maybe I'm looking out for you. Just maybe. And can and that's that what wall is. come down? Exactly. Can, and if yeah. it has to come down with some raised voices, then maybe it does. But if we end in a place of love and calm, then it, it was worth it. Raised voices were worth it. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I love that. Next up for me, way more intense. I'll go a little quickly through this one. It's very popular. It's Goodwill Hunting. I really, this is Matt Damon and Minnie Driver just absolutely going for it. And what I love about this argument is that it happens after their sweetest moment together when they're Mm -hmm. sitting in the courtyard and she's like, you know, it's not fair. I only just found you. He's like, well, you found me. And then boom, we cut to her or him. He's passed out in her room and she invites him to California. And then it starts with him so gentle in bed. And then it just, you know, it boils over and you finally see Will hunting like all this rage and all this stuff come out. And this this is a movie with obviously known for its really good monologues, but we don't ever really learn from Will about his past, except here, you know, that the bitches stabbed me and you're like, and just hearing him drop this truthful knowledge, like he's probably scratching the surface of his trauma. Yeah. And she's like, holy shit. Like I did. not It kind of seems like she's like suspecting it along the way, but she's like, wow, this is bad. And then I, what I always like in movies, it's kind of rare for this to happen, but a really, really smart character, you already brought it up, being leveled by a point. Yeah. And when she goes, what about your brothers? And Will Hunting always has something to say, always. And then he's like, ah, fuck it, whatever. And he starts to leave. She's like, no, I want to talk, like, this is your 12 brothers. You don't have, like, a, a story for it, an excuse. And that's when he boils over. And it's really, it's so intense. I mean, you really think at one point, you know, he could hit her. But but it's just genuinely still one of the most believable movie arguments like of a couple that i've seen and again you see we're in the room before it starts and then it ends with him leaving it's a short one but shit very effective i mean that was like his uh oscar clip when he was nominated for best actor you know oh man and hers too i think
1: and it's also because that movie it it touches on trauma yes but um i i i feel like that it that particular scene is the closest that it comes to actually seeing someone who hasn't dealt with it yes yes because
0: keep in mind he's young he's only 20 years old so like That's uh, and for someone who's been through as much as he has. And yeah, he's just but what's what's also effective about the scene is we've seen his violence. We've seen him beat the shit out of that guy on the playground for like no reason. Like kid used to be the shit. I mean, kindergarten, like what? That's why. So we know he's very capable of violence. We don't know if he's capable toward a woman, but it just gives it that extra level of tension. It's like, man, it's intense. I love that scene. It's really good. Okay, I'm going to wrap up my kind of couple arguments here very quickly. I thought it would be fun just to throw in like if we had any TV ones and uh, when I was thinking movie arguments, the best ever. The one thing that really came into my head in terms of TV is the season 4 finale of The Sopranos, White Caps, when you have Tony and Carmela. They argue twice in this. I don't know if you like committed the scene to memory like I have, but th- it's really Edie Falco's moment. She won the Emmy and it for this episode and It really feels like a woman right at the fucking end, right on the edge. It is some of the best acting I've ever seen. She is in tears. There's one point when he goes to, I mean, he barely catches himself from just leveling her from punching her and he punches like three holes in the wall and she looks genuinely terrified. And then you can see her kind of walking around and she's getting her air back, getting her agency back. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't want this. Like, I don't love you anymore. And it's, It's a really, really, because, you know, like Italian mob family, we don't get divorced. Are you kidding me? You you deal with the side women, you deal with it. And she's just like, no, I've had enough. Like your filter. I don't want to use the language she's using, but, you know, your side women are calling the house. They are talking to our son. Like, get the fuck out of here. Just it's one of the most despite it being a TV show, just one of the most effective arguments ever in anything and really always makes me miss Gandalfine even more. Just seeing it. Oh, so good. So good. So why don't we pick up with yours with you had a TV one as well. And I think it's a great one. It's a tricky one to talk about, but I think it's a great one. <laughs> yeah, well, it,
1: it goes back to the beginning of our show. Where we're talking about um, women and how they don't really have too many really great examples of of arguments. Mm-hmm. And I think TV is really changing that. Um, it's my biggest, biggest fan of you know, when we're seeing these new female stories told, I always kind of feel like it's because like now that they're actually given the opportunity, they're not fucking around. Like they they are not wasting time in talking about, you know, tropes or ideals. They just want to get right to it. Let us, let, let us be women and talk about the female experience and open up people's eyes to what that is through storytelling. And I love this show so much and wow. I've always repped it, but my God, I'm doing it again for better things. Uh,
0: we've talked about it on the pod. That's it's one of the honestly one of the best shows just on TV, and uh,
1: it, it it just is. And and I and I I love saying this, and I will say it to the to the days long that every episode I watch, I feel like I understand women a little bit more, and that's a testament. That's a to hell of a
0: nice hour. thing to say about a show, man. I that I, is I've never heard you say that about it. That's like. That's I mean, I think Pamela Adlon would really be honored to hear. I think you so say too. That. That's I mean <laughs> I mean it. Seriously, yeah. Yeah, because it's true. Cause it,
1: whether it's through the eyes of her character or, or one of her daughters, it it opens up something new. You're like, oh my God, like what women have to deal with in this world is just so much harder than anything else. Like oh, there's everything. And and what Better Things does is because there's nothing like crazy traumatic about it like it's it's a fairly well-to-do family Mm -hmm. living a decent life in california
0: single mom to three kids yeah there's
1: individual like baggage and stuff like that but for the most part it's just these women and what they're going through and this particular episode is season four episode four called dna and um basically all it is is that the oldest daughter is is living rent-free in the house she's over 18 and it kind of always begs the question of like when you know your children leave like if they're still staying like what are you doing here right are you paying rent helping out like what are you doing doing laundry uh, yeah exactly (laughs) and that's what this is like there's like a laundry question and it brings up you know where this history of mother and daughter Mm -hmm. and i mean mother daughter that relationship is so complex between any mother and daughter and what you get to see in this particular scene it's not even very long it's like less than three minutes i think is what could possibly be what every mother and daughter at one point might want to say at some point yeah yeah yeah. it
0: boils over and it's like not only is she living here rent-free but she's the oldest daughter and just not helping out with the other kids and not even doing her own laundry and then getting mad at her mom when her mommy doesn't do her laundry for it exactly all right hold on sweetheart this is coming to This is coming to a head and has them calling each other some, you know, very choice words. And it's like, whoa, oh, man. But it's it's very it's a very effective argument.
1: (laughs) And the way that it ends, because I I don't want to give too much away, because even if you just YouTube this argument, please do. Because by the time it ends, it's kind of what we're talking about, where these arguments come to a certain level and reach a certain point. And where this argument organically goes Is beautiful, and and it's I really, really champion this show and this scene for this episode. Absolutely. And now that I've just talked about two women arguing, I have some uh, picks that go just to all men arguing, and kind of what we were talking about with the whole entire movie of Malcolm and Marie being one argument, I am also going to throw out the recommendation of the movie of 12 Angry Men. Oh, great. Because this movie is, to its core... 12 men arguing about a verdict Mm -hmm. and each juror has an opinion. Some are more outspoken than others, but every opinion is accounted for and every possible angle is explored. This has been a play, it was a radio play, I think, is where it first started. Yeah. yeah, There's been like a lot of history over the years, and I think there's a reason why whether this movie or or this play are still being done is because
0: it really is just humans so what I love about this is that my first exposure to this was actually William Friedkin's made for tv version in 1997 you have Jack Lemmon doing the Henry Fonda role George C. Scott Courtney B. Vance James Gandolfini oh my god Tony Danza
1: are you kidding me I'm
0: dead serious William Peterson Ozzy Davis the great Ozzy Davis it's a great cast so to your point Edward James almost to oh my your god. point I'm in Mural stall oh he's so intense i mean it's it yes so the material still works and i don't even think they're like changing dialogue like it's still exactly it, yeah. the same but yes yeah, Sidney Lumet's first film go back to the source the original oh my god it's just perfect perfect it's, writing
1: it's perfect writing it's perfect stakes it's perfect conflict it lends itself to being a full-length feature argument that you will have no issue in being witness to. Pun intended.
0: Great. Great job.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. We've talked about this. We did a whole entire episode on this movie, The Great Mikey and Nikki, directed uh. by Elaine May. Uh, but I feel like we're at a point now where it's okay where we just bring, go call back to old, old movies that we've talked about yeah. because the, the, what I love about this particular scene is that it comes around maybe like the beginning of like the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Like we're kind of reached the end and certainly Peter Falk's character has reached his end with his friend. And it all, what I love about this argument is that it all basically culminates with an object. Mm -hmm. It's a Mm -hmm. watch. Yeah, There's been points made about the watch throughout the whole entire movie. Yes, But ones that you're like, like, anyone talks about the watch their father gave them. Yeah, it means a lot to them. Okay. Yeah, it's like, hey, watch the watch. You know, these little tiny things that are almost throwaway lines. But then John Cassavetes proceeds to destroy Peter Falk's watch. Mm-hmm. After everything that these two have been through in their life, and particularly this one night, that's where Peter Falk has his end. Yep. And it's it. I can't even say it's an argument. Because when one person has definitively reached their end, yeah. they have nothing left to say.
0: No, they're just—it's more of like defeat. You're just like, oh, I'm. This is the man that I've surrounded myself with for all these yep. years. Like, I don't think this is worth it
1: anymore. And then you're watching John Cassavetes plead his case. Mm-hmm. He is turned around and he doesn't know how to do it. Oof. And it and, and it, it ultimately ends into like you know a a, a man wrestle. In the middle of the street. I mean, there's so many different layers about this, about this one particular scene that I felt like it, it had to be represented in this episode as just a, a great, great movie argument from start to finish.
0: And when Falk realizes that he, this is how little of a shit he gives about me or things that I find important, that directly correlates to this, the decision he makes in the end of the movie. I don't want to give it away, yeah. but you know, it, that watch, that was a last straw, yep. the literal last straw. You went too fucking far.
1: Yep. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah, this definitely shows a little bit of our, of our, of our taste and difference. So, um, <laughs> oh boy. So, I brought up the comedy, This is the End. Oh, God. And I am, and anyone who might know Good I'm about, luck to talk about this one. So, the Armageddon is happening outside of the house that they're all in, and they are all kind of banded together to try to survive. And this scene <laughs> exists between Danny McBride and James Franco. Jesus. <laughs> where I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say exactly what the scene is Oh great because <laughs> because this is how you can have an argument though there's no there's no lines you, as long as the stakes are there then
0: don't do the whole thing please, I won't do look. the whole thing Go for it
1: but Danny McBride has soiled James Franco's porno mag in a way that I think that one would be soiled. Okay. And James Franco goes to confront him and is basically like, don't do this in my house. And, and from there, Danny McBride explains why he will continue to soil whatever he wants in his house. And you just watch the two of these guys. Just, it's so funny. It is really funny. I can't. Uh, all right. Yeah, just go
0: watch that. Just go watch that movie. It's very funny.
1: Oh, and this is great. 2008, Martin McDonough in Bruges. Oh
0: man. Oh God. Martin McDonough
1: is my favorite writer currently living. And um, this scene I'm talking about in particular is between Brendan Gleason and Ray Fiennes, where Ray Fiennes has come to Bruges to kill Colin Farrell because it's reached the point where he has to get himself involved. And Brendan Gleason has decided for himself that. Colin Farrell cannot die. He is set him free. He is not gonna tell him. And he is take he's sacrificing himself, the consequences yep. of this. So we talk about stakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, this is I'm gonna kill somebody. No, you're not. You're gonna have to kill me. Yeah. And these two are friends. And the way that the the level of their stakes matches their friendship. Yeah. And the personality quirks that they both have are represented. And it feels sweet. Mm-hmm. It feels real. It does not feel over the top, which is pretty incredible because it's a kind of really over the top scenario. The dialogue, these two guys just sing with each other, but yet they cannot find common ground. No, no. They're, they're, they are cemented in their stake in what this situation is, and yeah. they will not budge.
0: And it's it's so cool how like... You know Ralph Fiennes is like he's come to Bruges he's just picked up the gun and then he's walking around like where the fuck are they I'm gonna find and then you just see Brendan Gleason Gleeson like sitting outside having the beer and then he's like and right there you see a kind of a Fiennes register like a respect like oh shit he's just right here. I don't even have to look for him. Like, all right. Okay. Like they're having the beer, that they're arguing, you know, you retract that bit about my kid. And it's just <laughs> it's so believable. And then they have that really sweet moment, like actually up in the tower. Yeah. And, like I'm indebted to you. And I'd love great fights. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Huh? Oh, I can't, what? I can't bloody kill you. Oh God. It's just, yeah, it's really good. It's a really good, it's hard to establish. Like we're talking about chemistry again, like yeah. that, their level of friendship. You feel the decades there, even though yes. they're not going to agree. And, one or both of them is likely going to end up dead. Like it, it's so real and also funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> Which is what sets it apart. Yeah. Well, I'm going to completely switch. I'm going back to couples and this time they're arguing about death. I got two bangers right here in a row. <laughs> First up. I mean, these are two really intense ones. First up, I have in the bedroom, 2001, mm. Sissy Spacek and Tom Wilkinson. This is as real as it gets to me. And it's like that. this fight starts. It's a 10 minute fight. And it you know, it goes, she's doing the dishes, and it seems like things have like kind of calmed down and they're they're arguing, they're bickering. And then she throws out that line, like, Yeah, I know how you grieve. And then under her breath is like, when do you go have a beer? And then we just cut and he's like out of the room, beat, 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 and then he just boom, cause he's left the scene, he boom, comes crashing back in. Like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? And then it's on. Then they're then they are going at each other's throats. Here's what they're arguing about. Their only son has been murdered by the son's girlfriend's former husband, who's an abusive, you know, he's the son. Nick Stahl is dating Marissa Tomei, who's older. She has two kids with a former fucking psycho. He comes over and shoots the kid dead. So that's what they're arguing about. And now because the justice system works how it works, it's assumed that it is not going to go their way and the punishment toward this guy is not going to be as severe as they want to. So now there are two people Fighting alone in a house. They've been married for decades. And what's so interesting is that they both find a way to articulately blame the other for their son's death. Sissy Spacek's argument is basically you were encouraging him to chase this woman because you wanted a fantasy piece of ass. That's what you were doing. Wilkinson's argument is you pushed our son away and made him go to this woman because you're so controlling. He wanted to like defy you. That's what he says. So. Yeah, the stakes like their marriage doesn't feel in jeopardy to me, but the things that he says, the things that she says to him motivates him to do what he does. This is the last time this couple sees each other until the very end of the movie when she asks him one question and it all comes crashing down. But the way they blame each other in this argument, it leads him to do an act of violence that is like... It sets every it sets the rest of the film in motion. So this isn't just a standalone argument where okay, we were here for ten minutes. Now it's done. This basically propels the third act, and I love when movies do that.
1: Yeah, and it's really cool when just a simple like on screen argument is the driving force of an entire next chapter of the story. And also about that movie in the bedroom, I've said it before. We referenced it a long time ago. It's a short story written by Andre Dubois, and um, I believe it's called The Killing or Killing. The Killings. Killings. If if you're a fan of this movie at all, and you kind of want to dive into the source material, the movie does an incredible job of of taking that source material, but making it its own. Mm -hmm. And the short story is its own thing, and it's just as good. Highly, highly
0: recommend it. Fantastic writer. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. And love the argument. Love that book. I love everything about this movie. Next up, couples arguing about death. Here we have, th- this is honestly, this is kind of the movie that made me want to initially do this episode. I'm talking about Rabbit Hole oh, in 2010. Yeah. We have Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart. They are a married couple who have recently lost their young son to a tragic freak accident. They're managing, you know, well enough. It's this horrible event they've been through, but they're just trying to get by. It's, it's difficult. And there's two big blow-ups in this movie. When Nicole and accidentally deletes a video of their son from Eckhart's phone, holy shit, it just all comes out. Does it ever? And they've already kind of argued about like sexual tension they're having, but this argument is a full on explosion. There's blame, guilt, doubt, and Eckhart's voice reaches like this, this tenor that's, I mean, so scary and so desperate. You know, dogs chase squirrels, boys chase dogs. Oh, God, it's just, it's absolutely brutal. And then, of course, when Miles Teller just comes over for the house warming and it's he's like, oh, and that's I mean, that's a devastating one. But I uh, I don't know this. This is right. I think this is definitely Aaron Eckhart's best role right up there with my favorite Nicole Kidman. This is a really intense movie, but Eckhart's desperation that he gets to. He just sounds so lost and heartbroken and just devastated. So I've always been really, really drawn to these movie arguments The way they're shot, you know, handheld. Just it's very sad and scary. It's a terribly sad movie. It, it's so sad.
1: And and I agree with you. I love Nicole Kidman in it. And it's also like a really good play. That That's where that that story derived from is from a play. And yeah. that play is just, if you love the movie, I would love it if somehow you could see like a stage production of it because it, it's very different in a lot of ways from oh, the bet. movie. Yeah. The movie does a good job, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing it back to uh, a really, really great um, two-female scene argument is from a movie that you and I are both really big fans of, uh, Clouds of Sils Maria. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I, I, I really can't say enough good things about this movie. It's so, so good and layered and specific, and it's such a slow burn. And um, Kristen Stewart and Juliette Binoche. Juliette Binoche is this very, very famous French actress, and Kristen Stewart is her personal assistant. And one of the ways that they work together is that Kristen Stewart helps Julia Pinoche's character rehearse. Mm -hmm. So they are rehearsing lines from the new movie that she's about to do, and Julia Pinochet is really having a hard time connecting to this character that she's about to play. And Kristen Stewart has um, come to a crossroads in her life and all of these inner conflicts that both of these women are having individually are coming out in the lines of the plays that they're rehearsing. So it's it's like a scene within a scene. And when we finally this whole movie is building up to a moment that happens, which is the scene that I'm talking about towards the end, where both of them deliver their truth to the other person through the play. Right. Right, And then it kind of takes up from there because then they both realize, oh, this isn't the play anymore. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, you talk about that rectal test. Like, this is not, like, this passes with flying colors. Like, this is just two women who care deeply about each other but have just really outgrown Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also love each other. This is just human. This is just human nature. And we're just seeing two women get to do it. And why that's... Like odd, like why I have to say that's refreshing is stupid because it shouldn't be. But that's
0: that's the reality. That's yeah. the reality. And that's what this movie provides. And um, I love Clouds of Silas Maria. It was that the, your pick was a great reason for me to watch it again because it had been a few years. Oh, you yeah. watched it again. Oh, too. yeah. Yeah. I Because you got to like lead up. It, it's not an argument that's that effective out of context. Yeah. But, like, in context with everything else. And then especially how the movie ends like it's just perfect. It's a very odd it, movie in a in the best way.
1: Did you uh did you like it better than Personal Shopper?
0: Yeah, I always have actually. Yeah, I I, do I mean too. I I love Personal Shopper but I do like that there are three different characters to kind of follow yep. in Sils Maria. Yeah, for sure.
1: Very cool. And the next one I'm bringing up is just uh it's a classic classic scene chicken salad sandwich <laughs> argument from Five Easy Pieces uh. starring my favorite actor Jack Nicholson and all this scene is is Jack Nicholson wants to order something at a diner the way he wants it, and it's not an excessive order. But the waitress refuses to let this happen. Oh, God. And that's it, folks. That that's it. When you talk about stakes, they're not high here. No. But this is also like a great point. This is a situation where it's almost the absurdity for how low the stakes are. Right, right, exactly. Where you can create a memorable scene and a memorable conflict due to everyday frustrations mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. everyone can relate to. So Jack, is, and, and this is peak 1970s asshole Jack. Oh, yeah. And what's great is like when he starts this argument, his whole tactic is actually very calm. Very. It's very reasonable, and it's not elevated in anger. And then you just watch as it's not working for him. (laughs) It's just not going his way. Nope. And then it it just ends up in in a classic movie moment. And I keep saying it's classic. And I guess maybe I keep saying it because I want it to be when I feel like... That
0: scene is definitely classic. I think people... Even if they haven't seen the movie, you may have some context of like Jack, you know, clearing the table, chicken salad sandwich. Yeah. I mean, you may or if not, please watch this movie. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good. My favorite Jack. Yeah, that's wild. That's a bold statement, but I love it. I love it. My next pick, I went with a guy on guy fight and we've talked about it before, but I have to draw a little attention to how effective I wish I knew how to quit you was in Brokeback Mm. Mountain because... Oh my God! This is the last time we see these two together in the movie, and you know, I mean, the setup is Ennis Heath Ledger. He's waited till the end of this reunion because they don't get to see each other that much, and he's waited until they're literally packing up and getting ready to leave to say, "I actually can't see you in August like we plan. I got to push it to November." And this finally allows Jack Twist, Jake Gyllenhaal, to boil over and just go like, "This, uh, you know, I can't keep doing this. Like, this is too hard. I actually still think to this day." I think this is Jake Gyllenhaal's best scene as an actor. And when he goes, you have no idea how bad it gets. Like you really, really believe that. And you have Inestel Mar, like the, a master of repression who has no idea how to express himself. And then Jack twist who just wants, he's like, I don't even care about my family. Like I'll ditch him right now. I just want you. It's such a quoted line. You know, I wish I knew how to quit you all that, but it really, really pays off. It's a great movie moment, a great argument. I mean, At one point, Ennis is threatening to kill him, and I actually believe it. I'm like, holy shit.
1: And it's also another argument that's purely based out of love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I want
0: more of you. That's Mm -hmm. all I want. And Ennis is, you know, he's like, well, I got to work. You don't know how it is. And yeah, I mean, if you really love someone, should it be this hard? Like, do you really? It's so articulate, too. It's such a well-written scene, the way that Jack is, like, having to break it all down. I just, yeah, I wanted to mention that one briefly. And again, that's the last time they see each other. It's devastating. Oh love that scene. It's Another kind of similar fight, although it is they're gearing up toward a breakup because of cheating. But I wanted to give a little shout out to Blue is the warmest color. Oh. Because yeah. when Emma calls Adele out for possibly being with a man and then Emma kicks her out, that's like that is so fucking real. And that was a big influence on some movie arguments I've done in my own movies, but she sit. It ends with her like sitting there sobbing alone. That that's a really tough movie to take. Just all of it, like all three hours of it. It's a lot, but that's a very very effective argument of two people like just going at it. A young couple going at it in their apartment. Ugh. My biggest
1: compliment for that movie is that when that movie reaches the end scene, yeah. I after you've seen everything you've seen for those three hours, and I think this is such a rare thing for a movie to be able to achieve. Is that I truly felt a lifetime lived yeah like yeah th- from everything that they those two characters are before they get into a relationship right and then into the relationship it, it really feels like because that movie spans a lot of hit years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it really i it, it's like life like you can feel like oh yeah that was five years ago that was uh, just a year ago i felt all of that yeah it, i agree it's I very agree. very cool
0: yeah well said i'm gonna Burn through too quickly because we have given them a lot of play on the podcast before but i wanted to try to get a sibling argument in there and to me you can't do any better and really like restrained and down here than michael fassbender and carrie mulligan and shame which mm. you know episode 45 we dedicated an entire episode of that movie but then one shot to the back of their heads and then their profiles sitting on the couch you know how are you helping me i mean and then the one she just has to mention sex once yeah. in relation and once shut down done And then that kicks off the brilliant, you know, kind of end of that movie, which is one of my favorite endings to a movie ever. But definitely wanted to mention that. Had to give a little little love for it. Next, we also talked about this a lot on the PTA podcast, but mother and son fights. Hard to find a more real devastating one than uh, Eddie Adams' mom just laying him out in Boogie Nights. This is before he's Dirk Diggler. You could argue that that argument turns him into Dirk Diggler. And, you know, you're nothing. You're stupid. You're not going to be anything and just be nice to be, be. Oh, God, he's ripping stuff off of his wall. It's it's really interesting in the commentary for that movie that PTA gets very quiet. It's cryptic. And he's just like, yeah, I definitely this scene could have been longer. But nah, yeah, it's just that's the way it is. And he doesn't really I don't know. He doesn't talk about it. And we know a lot about PTA's dad. He was, you know, I he was he has a cameo in Boogie Nights. He was this famed TV announcer. But I don't hear PTA talking about his mom a lot. So it's just. It's very interesting it's very very interesting this scene
1: i didn't know that he talked about the length of that because
0: oh he wants it to be longer in his commentary and then he kind of gets quiet he's like i could have done this for another half hour easily there's and he says it's interesting because he makes he alludes to things in his commentary where he, i think he even says something to the to the effect of i was doing things with this scene that to me were very clear i don't know if they communicated." to the audience but oh well the scene could have been longer i don't know what he means by that or i wrote about the scene on my blog and a lot of the commenters a lot think that the mom is kind of jealous and in love with her son and like Mm. envious of him and that is fueling some of her anger a lot of people i've never had that read on it but then when you hear this commentary it's like is he trying to suggest some untoward like sexual innuendo jealousy i i I don't know but either way it's it's a really gutting scene well it is and and i and it's always actually i've never really
1: thought about it until you brought that up because I, i mean i'm not critiquing the great pta but I always kind of wanted, mm-hmm. but I think that's always a good thing. If you want a scene to go longer, right. it's because it's going so well yeah. that you could, even though it's not an easy scene to like, you know, sit with or be yeah. in, yeah. but like I, I it, and and it doesn't technically need to be longer because you get everything you need to get from exactly. it. But I think it's just so good and so powerful that I'm like, yeah, let's just like, Go with this. So it's, it's fascinating that he actually kind of like alludes that like it could have been longer. Oh, yeah. and, and I'm like, oh, I, I think that would uh, that would be a very cool way to see that.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. I have I have too quickly left here when we were talking about how it was unfortunately a bit of a struggle to find two women arguing. I did have to go in my search and I was reminded I couldn't believe I forgot this. But wow, this is a this is a tough sell. Igmar Bergman's Autumn Sonata is 93 minutes long, and Ingrid Bergman and Liv Allman spend the last half of that just going for it. They are a mother and daughter arguing this is maybe the most effective argument Bergman put on film, which is saying a lot, and it's they're arguing about a lifetime of turmoil, and there's so much angst, regret, shame. No one's, like, get bending. It's It's really, really brutal, so I'm not going to say too much because it's like half the movie, but... Kind of seemed pertinent to go this far and mention at least get one Bergman in there.
1: No, t- well, I hesitated on actually putting a Bergman movie in here because. I realized that like what I love about Bergman so much is how mean his writing is. And a
0: lot of it is just one-on-one on one mean without the with the other person saying nothing. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I realized, like, gonna, oh, that's not an yeah. argument. That's mm-hmm. just,
1: like, really, really cold writing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can't really put this in. So I'm going to end our uh, our argument with the way we started. We mm-hmm. started with a Cassavetes. I'm going to end with a Cassavetes. Oh, do- oh, boy. I cannot not bring up the great A Woman Under the Influence. <sighs> And um, I am talking about the table scene towards the beginning, right after all of Peter Falk's construction crew leave, because what we're left with is the aftermath after Mabel, Jenna Rollins' character, is... Made a fool of herself in front mm. of uh, her husband, and, um, but he doesn't care. That, that's what I love. We talked about this. We go back to our Cassavetti's podcast. We talk about this. Yeah. What makes this argument particularly so effective is that, again, out of love. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. is really so much more interesting when it's out of love. She's actually pleading for him to tell her what she needs to do. Right. So, it, it really, most arguments are actually like posed from the person... Like, why can't you do this? You need
0: to be more like how I want you to be. Yes,
1: exactly. And this is what's such a fascinating turn is because she's actually just asking that. Tell me how you want that to be. Yeah. And he's almost
0: just sort of like, I don't want you to change. Yeah, I want you to be you. I just want you to be you. But... Don't be crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it isn't it that's uh, like the spaghetti scene. It's really, yeah, yeah, it's an intense the whole damn movie's intense, obviously, which and we did go into it a lot on our Castvetti's episode. So yeah, please go give that one a shot, but I like that you brought that around nice full circle. I always do, baby. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, I mean, my god, we talked about so many there. Do you have any like extra just really stray ones to throw out before we wrap up here cuz we're going to end this episode a little differently than we do and oh boy, but I mean, yeah, there's just so many like Nick Nolte and Elias Cote is arguing the thin red line like I can't accept the order. Um, You kind of mentioned in passing like Tarantino is kind of a really good master of writing, you know, the foot massage thing in Pulp Fiction. It's, it's like, an argument. Yeah, it's an argument. It's not they're not screaming at each other, but they're both making good points and they both kind of change each other's minds to one degree or another. Yep. Yeah, it's an argument. Even Reservoir Dogs like the. The three of them arguing, like, you fucking said that. Fuck sides, man. What we need here is a little solidarity, like, just trying to convince each other. Like, there is a rat in here. Yeah, so good on you for bringing him up because, yeah, he's a very effective writer of arguments. Yes, he is. <laughs> so we're going to end here. Oh, boy. You, when you shared your list with me when I was outlining this, you included one that I, I didn't. I, it was honestly a big surprise, and it's a little awkward to talk about. We, I kind of figured that we're going to double down and do a shared... What are you watching? Because mm-hmm. you were very gracious, too. Why don't you tell us what your final pick here was? Oh, boy. Well, and this is, this is no, I'm not blowing any smoke. <laughs> um, I, when,
1: when we came up with this whole entire idea of this episode, it, it was instantly in my mind that I truly, genuinely wanted to include the scene in your movie, Wait, Oof. between um, Muriel Zucker and Nathan Staten. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple's, uh, argument that happens towards the end of the movie that I think is truly, truly one of the greatest arguments I've seen on camera.
0: Well, that's, uh, I mean, you know, it's a little weird to talk about. I mean, that's really nice. It's like to craft that argument to write it because the whole idea for the movie, it started with this scene. And I'm like, I think I have a way to write hopefully an effective, realistic argument where the stakes are really high between couple who are engaged. And I used a lot of the movies we've referenced as what to use as inspiration. Like, let's let this thing start. We're going to start right at the beginning. The scene is going to start before the argument has even occurred. And then we're going to see like it build up and then it calms down. We find the love then it fucking boils over. And then it's going to end with, you know, one of them leaving. And they knew that. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to film. I don't really know like what if you have any questions about it or what I should say, but it was um oh, what to say. Okay, so it's a short movie. It's only 72 minutes long. It was my first feature, and this scene is 12 minutes long. And mm-hmm. the scene happens, there's only like five minutes left after this scene ends. So what's cool about it is that Nathan and Marielle were dating in real life when we filmed this, and they're married now, so they're still together, but I knew they were dating and When I was casting that, I was like, okay, this is, this is tricky because I don't know how their relationship is in real life. Like we all talked about it. Like I need, I can you two get here in an argument and, you know, potentially have this disastrous fallout as characters, but you know, knowing that you two have to go home with each other after like, are you cool working that out? Cause I'm not going to be involved in that. And they're like, yeah, we're cool. So, oh boy. So I had, um, God, what to say, what to say? Interesting. Fun fact. We filmed that the night. Paul Walker died. I got the news as the actors were coming over. I was setting up the scene November 30th, 2013. And I explained to them the way that I'm going to do this. It's exactly like we did the argument for I'm alive. I will give you and like, I'm going to shoot it myself. And then my boom operator, Dan was in the room. That's the four of us. That's it. I'm going to set up a space here, a literal physical space. And you have carte blanche to move. I'm talking literally physically move. Anywhere within the space, I can track you. Don't walk down to that bedroom. It's staying here in the living room and kitchen. So this is your wheelhouse. And we're going to find, uh, we're basically going to shoot this all the way through, full argument to end, as many times until we get it right. Because I can only use footage from one take because I did not give them blocking. I did, they were allowed to move wherever they wanted. But that meant that in take three, a line delivery of, you know, we're here because some fucking asshole was speeding down the road. And take four, that's said when they're at the countertop. and another take, it was said in another part of the room. So I can only, for continuity's sake, I'm only going to be able to use footage from one take. We did it five times. You know, first take's just tough. You're getting stuff off the ground. And everything in the movie's from take four. Because they were building, they were building. And take four boiled over in such a way. I remember saying, I like to give, I don't like to trick actors, but I do like to give some independent direction. And what I told nathan and Marielle individually as i said neither of you can raise your voice first like you can't raise your voice first and knowing they're gonna raise their voice mm-hmm. it's just kind of holding it back holding back that tension you can't like scream you can't insult you can't do that stuff first and then i went over to nathan and i was like you can't do it first she just let her do it first yeah. wait and wait and you can see her kind of waiting to like when am i allowed to boil this over and she you know she does and i think when we were in that room for those takes, I saw two people actually arguing mm-hmm. that despite the fact or because of the fact that they were a real couple in real life, it was so intense and so, oh man, it was just, I, I remember being like, keep this thing in focus. Like, this is the end of your movie. Like, you have it. It's right here. And it was, it was a great feeling. And I remember Nathan told me after he went by me saying this, he's like, I've never yelled at her like that in real <laughs> life. Like, that's fucking crazy. Like, that was that was nuts. Cause I mean, he really goes for it and it was so fun to shoot, but I told them like, I'm not going to do this. A lot of directors are going to do, we'll just, we'll get, you know, minutes like one through four, of the argument here, and then we'll just get that right. And then we'll go and we'll do the next minute here. But I said, no, we're going to do, cause the, the argument was actually 18 minutes long. And I, so I basically chopped out like six minutes of it in editing of just like some usually bad writing, like line repetition and stuff like that. It was just, it was necessary cuts. So, but I wrote it as Marielle's moment to give it to her, to for that character to kind of, you know, hopefully take and run with. And she really did. And a lot of people who've watched that movie have been very gracious to call out her work in it, which is nice because I saved her powerhouse. I knew she could bring it. And I saved her character to the end and she, holy fuck, did she bring it? But yeah, I really, I just wanted it to be real. It goes up, it goes down. They're screaming. They're not screaming. They're pleading to stay. They're pleading to go. It's yeah. I wanted hopefully for it to feel like pure Cassavetes. And yeah, that's what we went for. A hundred percent.
1: And and also selfishly, it, it, it's kind of, to me, uh, like I love that scene so much because um, like the three of us and amongst another group of people, we were all in the same acting class. Yeah, yeah. And don't even feel weird in saying this, but we created magic weekly and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. And unfortunately- magic like that can't last Mm -hmm. it just doesn't especially creative artistic energy like that and i remember when i watched that movie we were all still in class like Mm -hmm. so that was like in the middle of it and i knew how much talent we had in our class and i was like you know if someone just managed to capture a fragment of what we would do together it would be magic and that's what you did well thank
0: you but you really did what was so interesting about that is that so many people from that class who I never met, they were in that movie. Yeah. And, and yeah. I was like, but not you at yeah. all. You were never recommended to me. Never. It was <laughs> nothing. And I, it's like, it's just so weird. And then the the kind of cool, the, it's a perfect way to end this podcast is that you and I met because you saw Wait playing at a festival, the first yep. festival played at. You saw it based on the recommendation of some of your classmates. Hey, like, come watch this movie were in and then you were liked what you saw enough at the person who shot it which was me the, that's why you hired me to shoot and edit there i go so yep. and then here we are years later still making shit
1: yeah absolutely and but again i just have to say thank you because like essentially for a period in my life that i value greatly you have created the only real evidence i have in a time capsule of something that i can like watch and be like yep that was what we did every week. Oh man! Even I if it wasn't me, but I knew well, yeah, what was yeah. happening, and I saw the two of them. Because even when I was watching that scene, I go, "This is this is it. This is this is what we do,
0: and it's amazing." They really brought it. We just treated it like a play. We treated it like a one scene play, and I'm. It's still one of the things I'm proudest of. So that's for my movie. Wait, you can watch it free on Vimeo. Just go to alexwither. dot com. There it is. But all right we did it favorite movie arguments that was so much fun that was good (laughs) we have a lot of uh it was very fun to research this very intense so let us know if you watch anything at w a y w underscore podcast let us know if you get into into any of these movie arguments and which ones are your favorite but as always thank you for listening and happy watching fuck you fuck you too Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostel.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at podcast at gmail.com and we'll answer those on the show. Or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time is our first ever What Are You Watching commentary. We already recorded it. It went great. It's a really popular movie that won Best Picture. Stay tuned. <laughs> their marriage never feels in jeopardy to me. Their never their marriage never feels in jeopardy. Je- mm, fuck it. Their marriage never <laughs> feels in jeopardy to me. Hold on. <laughs>